We hear about the evils of capitalism on the left. The right talks about being pro-business to create more jobs and touts laissez-faire capitalism as the best in human history. Liberals blame crony capitalism, also called corporatism, which is actually a term used in anarchist theory, but HuffPo apparently has the final word on definitions. Liberals tend to believe in capitalism as the free market, and so long as corporations are well regulated and pay for their taxes, they are great and essential to our economy. There is no other alternative possible way to get all the stuff we need. Many young people in America were irritated at the Democratic Party for falling in love with Silicon Valley, who spoke of a new liberal capitalism, which instead allowed for the failing gig economy to get around labor protections, and Russia to hack America's information stream, filling it with garbage and misinformation. But what if I told you the problem is not with regulations or low taxes, but the idea of corporations themselves? And even worse, corporations are now, and have always been from their very conception, evil. And by evil I mean they are amoral, with one goal, money for a bunch of different people who don't know each other, made by a long chain of deniability so that people in each link of the chain can bend the rules slightly, but that accumulated bending becomes horrific atrocities and no individual can take the blame for it. So many people are in the chain and benefit from it that they will do anything to keep it going, including rationalizing and normalizing the process because they themselves aren't doing evil, and marketing and lobbying and PR will be used to ensure the laws stay the same or shift in the corporation's favor. They're now a self-sustaining entity that's impossible to kill, that are now way too big to fail. This is called the banality of evil, that the true causes of evil are actually boring bureaucracy. We prefer a supervillain, that's how our brain works. An evil, all-powerful, crazy, hateful person who can be defeated and all the evil will go away. Why Hitler and Stalin stick in our minds so much, but people fail to realize that it was a boring and banal march of systemic evil that allowed all the evil people to rise to power. Villains make a great story, we love simple and black and white. Going through in complex detail about why these villains rose to power, and why people gave that villain power, does not make for good entertainment. Knowing how Nazis and Stalin rose to power, and that it could actually happen here, is not taught in our schools at all. People assume Hitler was never elected and just seized power like an 80s cartoon villain, and made the German nation evil through sheer force of will. Most don't know that the Atlantic slave trade was slow to get off the ground for one specific product, and it spread. And at one point in the U.S., it was considered on its way out the door because it was economically non-viable, until the invention of the cotton gin changed everything, making slavery a super cash cow. But to get to the point of understanding, we must travel back in time to the very first corporation, or an organization with a large collection of private funders protected from bankruptcy for individual shareholders who didn't know each other, disconnected from the community they would impact, that set up a chain of deniability to rationalize their atrocities. We are of course discussing the Dutch East India Company. Chapter 1. The Spice Trade The Dutch East India Company was the first of its kind. Founded in 1602, it was meant to have a 20-year charter and then dissolve like all other corporations at the time. This was different though, as the shareholders didn't have much control of running the company. There was a board that ran it, and the shareholders didn't know each other. The purpose of the company was explicitly to establish a monopoly on spice through coercion and violence, 
Being the first to sell stocks, they also established the world's first stock market. For the first 200 years, corporations were not used for trade in Europe, just specifically to violently extract goods from foreign lands through their own private navies and armies. Their first target was the Banda Islands, which held all the world's supply of spices of mace, cloves, and nutmeg, which were more precious than gold in Europe. If you were a sailor who could smuggle a bag of cloves back with you from a trip, you were set for life. The Dutch hired mercenaries in the region to act as enlisted soldiers, while officers were all Dutch. This practice became the norm through the rest of history in colonial corporations. They brought to the largest Banta Island Japanese mercenaries and told the chiefs of the island that they could no longer trade with the English. They forced them to sign a document they couldn't read, and only on one island even though every other island was essentially its own country. They gave gifts of wool and velvet, which are useless in tropical climates, in exchange for the promise that the natives didn't understand. They built a fort, and all of this made the islanders mad that the company prevented them from trading their own goods, so much so that they had an uprising and killed the head of the company, but his replacement went through and massacred and burned villages in revenge for killings. The Dutch were beaten in battle and had to flee their ships. They then blockaded the island, who ended up giving up as the island was not self-sufficient because they had focused solely on growing spices. The Dutch East India Company now owned this island, stealing the land out from under them. Corporations started using this model all over Asia. There was enough spice for everyone in the world, but the Dutch cornered the market and even burned and exterminated spices on other islands. This was a strategized move to get the finances to maintain and grow their private military. They also began exporting the islanders as slaves to Dutch slave markets. War was essential to trade, and trade was essential to war, in a never-ending cycle. Half of Dutch and British wealth came from this enterprise, and so many beautiful buildings you see in the Netherlands were built using this blood money. The English and Dutch East India companies fought each other brutally until their governments forced them to play nice, but Jan Cohen, a Dutch officer, broke the rules and killed and drove out English and got a slap on the wrist because profits. The Dutch East India Company declined 200 years later, and the government took over their territories. The British East India Company was founded in 1600, a few years earlier than the Dutch version, and had a much more traditional model, but was barely able to maintain itself. But it was reformed to be like the Dutch Company in 1650 under Cromwell. Their target, however, was not spice, but saltpeter for gunpowder. The biggest supply of saltpeter was in India. There was a ton of interest in India at the time because of saltpeter and many competing armies. The Mughal Empire was dying, and it was easy to corrupt local officials. Robert Clive, known as Clive of India, grew in the ranks and realized that unlike local armies who were press-ganged into fighting and had little military experience, European and company soldiers could easily slaughter or run off a local army, and there was little or nothing to stop them. So he began hiring out armies to local princes to fight their wars in exchange for better trade deals. Over time, the British ended up over time the British ended up gaining pretty much all power over most of India's saltpeter, and the corporations got massively rich. They didn't really care who the people in charge were, so long as they continued to give them those sweet deals on the goods they wanted. Chapter 2, Colonialism Once the British and Dutch East India companies realized just how easy it was to take over nations thanks to their guns, the market opened up. They had no concept or care about national sovereignty of others, and they were able to suppress their brutality from being known by people back home. They used PR stunts back home to inject doubt when ideas or rumors of brutality were heard back home, 
then rationalizing why it was essential and moral, either through jingoism, nationalism, or religion. The people back home were much more likely to believe the PR stunts because they benefited from the violence so much. Over time, colonialism became more and more systemic, and a game plan became normalized. Their plan involved pitting tribes and kingdoms against each other. These people had deep animosity against each other already, and they just split the rift wider by giving them weapons and resources to fight for them as an enlisted army. The officer corps was of course always white European to ensure a coup couldn't happen, and they kept their fighters ignorant of things like logistics, tactics, and supply lines. They just got very, very good at fighting when pointed in the right direction. An entire warrior class became the staple of English corporate colonial systems, one class of natives suppressing the other class of natives. It was very cheap and efficient. It was very much akin to serfdom, just far away, so the lords who had money in the venture couldn't themselves be attacked by their serfs if they became angry, so brutalities went on and on. However, another form of hellish oppression was already going on that would plague the peoples of the world. Chattel slavery. The Portuguese hit upon a serious labor shortage for a grueling process of sugar refinement back in the early 1400s. They decided to capture some slaves from Africa and force them to work on an island off the coast of Portugal. This was a one-time thing. It was not a corporate endeavor and was a royal decree. It was supposed to be a single event for this particular special case, but it turned out to be fairly lucrative. At the time, the royals began rationalizing their brutality and introducing the idea of racial superiority of Europeans over their black slaves. Prior to this, it was cultural superiority that was discussed, as slavery usually allowed one from one culture to integrate into the other culture over a few generations. But pseudoscience began infusing its way into the zeitgeist of the time. Then the New World was discovered, and while corporations didn't start slavery, they ramped it up to industrial scale in a few hundred years. The natives were terrible slaves in the New World, as they kept dying of disease we brought over. So they discovered a much more financially efficient system of slavery. They would harvest raw goods from the New World, most often produced with slaves, take them to Europe to be processed, following the trade currents, then take the processed goods down following the currents to trade with African slave traders for slaves, and then sail using the Atlantic currents back to the New World to fill up on slave-harvested materials. No one sat down and decided this. It was an evolutionary process. The rationalization for being more and more awful because they didn't know the people they were oppressing, and the chain of deniability became more and more normalized and locked in. Every move they made was a profit-based issue, and morality be damned. It was only when things stopped being as profitable did they stop doing something. Just as how slavery in Britain actually made sense from a business side of things for enough companies that Britain was able to end slavery without a war. But because of rubber profits, King Leopold was able to enslave and brutalize the entire nation of the Congo that he owned privately, and they're still suffering from PTSD and trying to recover and patch together an identity that was stripped of them for generations. It only was when enough bad press made the continuing of slavery in the Congo less profitable that they made the financial decision to finally do the right thing. And even then they refused to stop meddling in Congolese affairs, funding government rebels to break off and form a new nation of the Republic of the Congo. And its leaders were beholden to these nations to give them unfair deals at the expense of their people. The U.S. and Belgium had the president of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Patrice Lumumba, murdered because when he asked them for help, they provided none, so he turned to the Soviet Union for help, and America and Belgium then attacked him as a commie. 
the government had a coup, and Mumbutu Seiseko, a former colonial sergeant of the warrior class under the Belgian officers, became the brutal strongman dictator of the Congo, setting them back yet again and allowing corruption to give corporations sweet deals at the expense of the people so he could live in luxury. This system is how America was formed and how the European empires enslaved and ransacked the entire world for 400 years. Corporations were the strong arm of colonialism. Now they're expected to use corporations to stop doing evil and are not doing so well at it. Britain became the best at using corporations for empire building. 